All right. You can flip over again one page to our passage for this morning. Uh, I'd like to say that last week it was really enjoyable to be here and to uh, have Charles here and to preach and to be able to sit under his preaching and to be really encouraged by the word and really challenged uh, what it means to uh, follow Jesus. And it is, you know, partially because of that, but even just sitting under this passage this morning, I'm really excited to be here and get to unpack this uh, for all of us, because I really think that this passage is a fairly familiar passage. It might be familiar to you if you spend any time in the Bible, but I think this is a passage about discipleship, actually. This is a passage about sitting underneath Jesus as our teacher and learning from him. So uh, that's all I'm going to say for introduction. Let's go ahead and read the passage, and then I'll kind of explain what I mean by that. This is from Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're looking at verses 12 to 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we ask you again that you would send your spirit and you would open up our hearts to your truth. Encourage us and build us up. Show us what you are like and bid us to come and follow you uh, ever new. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to tell you the the thing that was a little bit curious to me about the passage when I first jumped into this. Uh, If you'll remember from last week uh, where we just left off, uh, we had this kind of a climactic moment where Jesus called his first disciples, and it was dramatic. Uh, He called Peter um, and told him to put the nets over the boat and caught just a ton of fish. It's miraculous. Um, event that took place, uh, so much so, and Peter recognized who Jesus was. He was terrified, um, and he wanted Jesus to depart from him. And we left off that story with these words. If you've got your Bible, you can look back, but I'll read them. This is the last two verses, uh, 10 and 11 in chapter 5. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so we really had this key moment for the disciples. Now they're disciples and Jesus calls them to himself and they had this really miraculous transformation and they left everything behind to follow Jesus. And Jesus says that he's going to make them uh, fishers of people and not just fish. And then what happens? It's like the disciples kind of disappear from view um, and they don't, they kind of come in here, here, here and there, but they're really not one of the priorities that the focus shifts back to Jesus. And it kind of made me wonder, why is this the case? Why would we have this with the disciples? And then the view shift immediately back to Jesus. This is clearly in a context of how they are called to something. And I think that when you look at the whole story that um, if you might have known this, you might not, that the book of Acts um, is actually volume two to the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is, it tells a story of Jesus and his work, and then Acts is about the growth of the church. 
And there we see an awful lot of activity on behalf of the uh, disciples, the apostles, and other members of the church. A lot of things happen. But Luke kind of keeps the disciples to the background and focuses on Jesus before that. It's almost like there is something in order for that to happen that the disciples have to learn from Jesus before that can take place. And I'm going to illustrate it in this way, tell you about, um, before I tell you about my love for Jesus, tell you about my other love for my beloved soccer club, Liverpool FC, um, in England, uh, top tier of English soccer. Uh, from the 60s to the 80s, then Liverpool were by far the best team in England. Um, they were one of the best in the world. Safe to say they were the Auburn Tigers of this day. Um, not quite. <laughs> um, I'm an Auburn fan, so I can say that. But they were the premier team. Like, they had any player they wanted. They, they won almost every year. And so they would go out into all of Europe, and they would buy the best players. And when they would come in, there would be a lot of excitement. There would be a lot of enthusiasm for these new players to come and get into the team because they're world, uh, world-recognized players. But because of the philosophy that the club had come up with, which made them so successful, is that when you were purchased, no matter how big you were, you would not go into the first team, but you would go into the B team. And you would have to play in the B team for a significant amount of time. Because it was important that everybody, no matter who they were, were molded according to the same, the Liverpool way, the same way of playing. And that is the only way that this team was going to be as effective as they were. If they were just thrown in and left, then their enthusiasm and their own skills, their own knowledge would actually pull the team apart and go in separate directions. But there's this learning period of focusing on this one way that brings everybody together. And I think this is what's going on here with Luke. And it's the same with us. As we are brought to Jesus, we get to know him. Um, we, are, we become excited about different things. We become enthusiastic about different things. We have different gifts and talents. And yet, left to our own of those things, we end up dispersing. We end up going our separate way rather than cohesion. And what Jesus does first is he calls all of us to himself. He calls all of us to pay attention to him and his way before anything else happens. And it is all through focusing on him and following him that the good news spreads and that the spread of his kingdom is actually effective. Um, and so this is what I kind of want to unpack and, and talk about uh, this morning. These points might not be intuitive just from reading this, but I've got two points. The first is going to be longer than the second one. So if you hear me say point two and it's getting close to 11, then don't worry about it. Um, I really have one point, and then we're going to apply that in the second. But we're going to look at this fact that um, discipleship, that is learning from Jesus, it always precedes ministry. It starts with Jesus. Learning from Jesus always is the place that ministry starts. But as a second point, we'll see that discipleship also always leads to ministry. It never stays just there, but it calls us in forward. Uh, to something else that is much deeper uh, than much further up and further in. That's what Saint, what um, C.S. Lewis said. So let's jump in. I'm going to let's unpack this. That discipleship always precedes ministry, and this is just asking that you know these disciples are called. They're on the road following Jesus, and so we're paying attention to what Jesus does uh, right out of the gate. What is Jesus doing here in this story? And there are several details in here. There are several things that he does, but it is all focusing around 
uh, just really one moment in the story. It's then Jesus reaches out, he stretches out his hand, and he touches a mess. And I say mess and not just a leper because it is much more than just a leper that is going on here. But he touches and he is exposed to something that is very, very deep, a multi-layered a level of brokenness. And there are three layers that we're going to see, just a physical brokenness, social, and emotional at the end. But let's start here just looking at the physical brokenness. Uh, this guy has leprosy, uh, which is almost certainly not the kind of leprosy we know of. It's called Hansen's disease now. That this was a, in that day, it was just a loose term for a lot of skin diseases. So this guy has some kind of skin disease. Uh, but he has to live on the outskirts of town because according to Jewish law, if you have... Um, what they call leprosy, any kind of skin disease, is that you have to be cut off from the people. You have to be to live on your own uh, with other people who have leprosy just like you. And if you unpack the Jewish law, some of them make sense, some of them don't. Like, you know, scholars are always rec- you know, wrestling with why these are the way they are. But there are practical reasons. Like, um, contagion is one of them. And that if you have a disease, a skin disease, that likely by surface contact, then it could spread to other people. And so isolation is one of the ways we all know that keeps diseases um, from spreading to other people. Uh, I think, just say now through all of these, that there's a level that this passage will ring true more in this time period than it may ever have before in your life. Um, so, but he can't, so this guy is out. Um, he can't be touched by anybody. It is against the law. For anybody else to touch him. And what does Jesus do? Of course, he reaches out his hand and touch him, touches this guy. But look at what it says and, and just notice the details. And this is going through. It's like the author slows us down. He just doesn't say just he touched him and that he was healed. He says, and Jesus, he stretched out his hand and he touched the guy. It's like he is building us some suspense. Um, you probably all have this um, experience now. When you watch TV uh, in our COVID times and people are, uh, get too close to each other or they touch each other and there's something in you that's like, whoa, 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 whoa you can't do that. Um, and it's just so in your brain you forget uh, that, that that was at a different time. But this is what the author wants us to do. He wants us to stop and to gasp. Like, wait a second. Um, you could have told that guy to go and wash in a river and be healed, but No. Jesus reaches out his hand with the disease that he has and he touches this guy and it says that he makes him clean. And so Jesus, in effect, he puts himself in the position of being at risk. He makes contact with this guy's physical brokenness. But through that, he does not take the disease onto himself, but he is able to make it clean. He is uniquely able to do this. Um, And I think this is something that is this physical brokenness is something on our minds now because of the virus. I mean, we're worried. Uh, we're worried for our, for our society, for our parents, um, for our friends, um, our family members of uh, contracting this virus. And we know that physical disease is a big deal and it has a wide ranging effects. But this is only the surface level. So he touches the guy and he makes him clean, but there's something else going on under here too. If we dig a little deeper and just think about what the implications are. And that there's also this social level. There's a way that this guy, um, his relationship with society was also broken. And that if it is against the law uh, for you to live with other people or even to touch other people, then it means all of your life is impacted. It means you can't go shopping with other people. You can't go get entertainment with other people. 
You can't worship with other people. You can't even live in your own house uh, with the rest of your family the way you could. Is that because of this one thing, then there are further implications that go that there is a relationship with society um, that is broken, uh, that this guy has to face. And this might sound harsh to us, and again, we don't know why this was the, that all of these things were the case. Um, a lot of these laws had to do with, they highlighted the perfection of God and compared to uh, people. But I don't want to get bogged down into why, you know, any of these laws were in the case. I want us to pay attention to Jesus and what he does. And again, in this act of where Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches this guy, he breaks the Jewish law. He takes the risk on himself of the wrath and the ire of the Pharisees and um, the keepers of the law. And this is already brewing. And when we get to the passage next week, we are going to see it coming all the way to the surface. And that he, he is risking a confrontation with the religious leaders by doing this. He takes this onto himself. But through this, notice what he does. He tells the guy, he not only makes him clean, but he sends him to the priest and says to offer the sacrifices according to the law, show yourself to the priest, and do all the things that the law requires. He actually is supporting the law. And he is doing this because he is fundamentally restoring this guy's relationship with society. Jesus knows that this guy has a physical problem, but his physical problem is not his only problem. He also has a social problem. And he sees through this. He has compassion for the guy of his broken social relationships. He sends him back through those channels the way they are so that he can be properly restored uh, member of society. He can move about the empire in a way that he had not been able to do in a very, very long time. But that's not all. There's another thing here that Jesus does that I think is crucially important. And is another implication of just this simple issue of this guy, he contracted a disease. That because he was isolated, because he couldn't be touched by any human being, this guy had probably not had human contact, except maybe from other lepers, in years and years and years and years. And so we have somebody who has all these layers of stuff going on, and to deal with it, he also has emotional pain. He's isolated. He has human longings that can't be fulfilled. He's sad. He probably feels bad. And I think this is the case with a lot of us. We all know that we have issues. Some of them we keep hidden better than others, but we know uh, even in ourselves that we have presenting behaviors. We have things we do that might be good, they might not be good. Um, we know there are implications of our behaviors or our brokenness or our sickness or anything on our social relationships. But underneath all of these things, there is a heart that is longing for a kind of fulfillment that can't fully be fulfilled. We have longings for all kinds of things. We have longing for companionship. We have longing for spouses. We have longings for children. We have longings for uh, jobs, something that has meaning, something that feels like we're really doing something in life. We have had people in our lives who have really hurt us badly, who have made us feel small, who have not given us the love that we should have. And all of these other presenting issues in our lives, are we just want to be liked. We just don't want to be hurt again. All of these things. 
And underneath all these levels, then what we see Jesus here is recognizing is that there is something deep with this guy uh, that he was really experiencing. And just in one touch, he goes all the way into the heart. It's not just a tap on the shoulder. But he heals the guy's disease, he heals the guy's social relationships, and he has the first human contact that he has had. It's like he reaches all the way in and touches him deep in the heart, in the place that he might not have even known that his brokenness was affecting him um, the most. Jesus cared about that deep level of the mess. He cares about the heart. He gets in. He has fellowship with this guy at the deepest level, the deepest purpose of his heart. And he is uniquely able with this guy and you and with me also to reach into those places and have fellowship with us. To share our wounds. To give us comfort and to bring healing in spectacular ways. This is what our Savior is like. And I just want us to notice here the great compassion and the care and the perceptiveness of Jesus for you that you are following, even here today. This is who Jesus is and this is what he is like. Uh, This is what he does. And so I want to ask now, what does that mean for us? So if we're kind of taking this uh, premise, we're remembering that this is part of a bigger story. And we are reading this as Jesus' disciples. We are reading this not as these disciples, but we're reading as learners from Jesus. We are following him. We are learning from him. We're being led forward into a story. Um, He's making us fishers of people. Uh, He is growing his church even here. And so what impact does this have when we see Jesus and who he is have on us in the way we are reading this passage and, and on our lives. And I've got three subpoints here I want to draw our attention to. First, real simple, life is messier than we think. It is multi-layered problems. It is not simple. And we, as we are moving about through life, especially as we are following Jesus, the things that are there, um, they... Anything that we see, any problem we see is so multi-layered, we don't even uh, fully understand it. The brokenness runs deep. And we know even on good times as we try to um, get along together or plot a course or plan a strategy, strategy or whatever, it's already difficult because we're all different in one way. And then you throw brokenness into individual stories or in society into this, and it is all the more. There are layers and layers and layers upon the you know, and the purposes of our hearts as we come together and we try to do uh, this thing called ministry. And we often have no idea what is motivating us, let alone other people. And we have triggers, we have temptations, we have hooks. Um, it just doesn't seem like it doesn't take much and everything can turn upside down and there's bad news waiting around the corner. This is one of the things we have to face about life. And because of that, what will be most natural for you and me is to live a buffered and safe life as much as possible. It will be most natural as we move into relationships that we will stay in them only as long as they are good for us and as long as they make sense and as long as um, they are not um, too complicated or burdensome um, on us. Um, We don't like conflict. 
uh, we will only lob criticism from afar, uh, mostly with hatred in our hearts. We'll refrain from asking deeper questions into people's lives because we don't really want to know what the rest of the brokenness is because that's more of a mess that might get on us. Uh, We won't like to get involved with people when there's a cost. We'll offer things like religious platitudes. And I'll say, here's the thing with platitudes, of saying to people, you know what, God's in control of this situation in your life. It's not that we shouldn't say that. We should say that because it's true. It's just when that is said without a recognition of the complexity of what you and I are dealing with in life, it misses the mark. It can be very reductionistic and can be very hurtful without recognizing the depth of struggle in a person's life. And when we get enthusiastic about you know, the things that we are enthusiastic about, we can reduce everybody else and judge them according to that thing, whether they are enthusiastic about it or not. Even our good ideas can be um, accusations. And these are all ways of staying safe. These are ways of keeping a safe, carefully manicured life uh, that is very, very simple. That's the temptation. But what does Jesus do? This is the second thing. The first thing is that life is messier than we think. The second thing is what does Jesus do? And as Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches this guy in his mess, that the pathway of the Christian life of discipleship is not a buffered in a safe life, but it is a walking forward into each other's lives and into the mess. Even when we don't know what is up and what is down or how to get out of it. This is the posture of our Savior. The posture of our Savior who was willing to walk into the darkness places, not just on the surface level, but to go deep. To give himself up for the sake of others. To bear the cost of others. Even when he didn't benefit himself. And this is a tough thing. Like if we stop there, and we, I just if we really wrestle with and kind of get what our calling is in the Christian life... Um, it's probably more discouraging than it is motivating. Because you all know what brokenness is like to have in your life, and you know the impulse it is to pull back away from that. And like, this is, this is too much for me. Like, I'm boiling over here. I can't handle this. Because for you and I, in our own human frailty, the darkness is darker than we can see through. And it is darker than we can bring light to. All relationships, society, all kinds of things... It will break us. And so what is the hope that we have here in that? And this is the last thing, and this is the most important. Is that wherever the darkness is, if we are following Jesus, we are not walking ahead of Jesus. But he is always our leader who goes first. If you think back into the Old Testament when the Israelites moved across the Jordan River into the Promised Land before it was taken over, what went first? It was the Ark of the Covenant. It was very particular instruction that the Ark of the Covenant is going to cross this river into this land before any Israelites are allowed to go in. And it is the same with Jesus. We are going into the darkness following our Savior who went first, who is uniquely able to touch the sick and to heal and to not get sick as himself, to heal social relationships even at cost, And to reach into the deepest parts of our hearts in a way that we are not able to. And if you think about the cross, you can just think of that visually in the image. Is that when Jesus hung there on the cross, it's like he is holding on to the darkness in one hand. And he is holding on to the light in the other. 
And he is occupying that space in between as the only one who is able to hold it together. And you and I exist in that space inside of him. And so then what does ministry look like? If Jesus is walking into the darkness, if he is walking into the mess, if he is getting involved in these things that are beyond what we can do, then as we walk into these things, it is not because of we can do, but we are walking to meet our Savior who is there. We are actually walking towards him. It means he has a unique communion with us as we are overwhelmed and we are in the dark because that is where he is and that is why he came. And I want to end this, if you'll flip to the back of the worship folder and just read this quote. I love this quote by Diane Langberg. You might have seen it in the worship folder before. Uh, But this is what she says. If you will enter into the suffering of people, you will be entering in darkness. Such darkness would overwhelm and lead to despair where there's not a treasure there. The treasure in the darkness is the crucified Christ. He who can sympathize is there. He who knows anguish is there. He who has felt tormented, abandoned, unheard, and crushed waits there in the darkness. To enter into the fellowship of his sufferings is to find him. So what is there for us? You are not sent out into the darkness, into the world in a compulsory manner to go do something you cannot do. You are being invited forward to come know Jesus in a much deeper way. And the question I want to leave us all with is to reflect. Again, it was the same question left with a couple weeks ago, is what are we holding on to that is holding us back? What more is offered us in Jesus on this pathway of following him? that will provide much more healing, much more joy, much more worship and satisfaction than anything else we can hold. And I'll leave us with that. Let's pray together. Father, you humble us by your words. This is an enticing prospect of the beauty of our Savior. Father, hold on to us tighter than we are able to hold on to you and continue to lead us forward that we might know you more. We pray this in his name. Amen.